thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty, and I'm delighted to have you with me today as we continue this series on the why and how of Christian political engagement. I don't know about you, but I have really been challenged in thinking through what Dr. George Grant said at the Restoring the Vision seminar we hosted back in May. And today I want to continue to reflect on what he said that's been so challenging to me. So let's listen to what he had to say and pick up from there. We're to see every issue, every decision, all of life through the lens of the glory and the majesty of God because God is God and we are not. Uh, That means that from a policy perspective, everything begins not with anthropology, but with theology. Every time we come to a question of what should government do, uh, what should our local community do, uh, what should our uh, county commissioners do, uh, what should our city aldermen do, our first question ought to be, Who is God and what has he done and what are the implications of that to the myriad of issues that we face? In the previous episodes, we've talked about the need to do what Dr. Grant said. Start our view and understanding of everything with theology rather than anthropology. And by that, I mean looking first to what it is we know about God, what I've often called our doctrine of God. Do we even have one? As I've said before when we started this series, I didn't. Most of my adult Christian life, I would have had no doctrine of God. I might have known words about God, but I I would have never thought deeply about them or the implications of them. And then looking at ourselves and our situation, what Dr. Grant meant by anthropology. Now, last week, I gave some concrete and even current examples in the world of politics that demonstrated how our theology would determine the way we looked at the situations that were presented by those examples. And and I hope you found uh, that it was a very practical thing, that theology is a very practical thing. It has to be a practical thing because if God created the world, well, to know the God who created is a very practical thing to understand the world that he's created and in which we live and move and have our being. But I want to pick up today with what he said about we need to know what God has done and what he's doing. That's part of the knowledge of God that needs to precede our understanding who we are and what we need to be doing. Otherwise, we'll be off doing our own thing and God's over here doing something else and, and, and we will wind up frustrated and we'll be fruitless and we'll achieve nothing of any enduring good, either in, in our lives or in the social order in which we find ourselves. So the thing I want to focus on today is that in my experience, by and large, 
I had no idea what I was doing really as a Christian. Now that sounds strange to say, given what I've done over the last 27 years. I didn't really know exactly what I was doing in my political life. I mean, I was doing things, but if you'd said, what am I really building? What am I trying to really get to? What is the, the end goal, the end purpose? I might have had, you know, some uh, statements like, I want a more righteous society, a more godly society, and, and that would have been good, although I couldn't have told you what it would look like if I got there. So I said to a friend the other day when we were meeting, I said, you know, it seems to me that within Protestantism, we spend so much time thinking about being saved, being justified, that we don't know what it is we're actually supposed to do between that moment and the moment we depart this earth, other than just try to be godly. So I wanted to bring to our attention today something on this point about Protestantism, really, and how we're lost, by and large, in terms of a real sense of purpose and direction, other than I guess I'm supposed to be holy. And Dr. Abraham Kuyper, in 1898 spoke to the Princeton Seminary. You've heard me mention it many times. But one of the things that he said to the seminarians was this. In the Roman Catholic Church, everyone knows what he lives for because with clear consciousness he enjoys the fruits of Rome's unity of life system. Now we're going to talk about that in just a minute, but let's move on. Even in Islam, you find the same power of conviction of life dominated by one principle. Protestantism alone wanders about in the wilderness without aim or direction, moving hither and thither without making any progress. Well, if you don't know what it is you're supposed to be progressing to as a, as a body, as a whole, well, uh, you, you won't make much progress. So he goes on and says, This accounts for the fact that among Protestant nations, pantheism, born from the new German philosophy, which was Hegel, and owing its concrete evolution form to Darwin, remember he crept in in 1859, claims for itself more and more the supremacy in every sphere of human life, even in that of theology, and under all sorts of names tries to overthrow our Christian traditions. I wish I had time today to talk about that last part about the pantheism born from German philosophy and the overthrow of our Christian traditions, but, but for today I need to move on because my focus is on his statement that Protestantism wanders about in the wilderness, moving hither and thither without making any progress. Now I mentioned, or he mentioned, the Roman Catholic Church and that everyone there knew what he lived for. And so let me, let me explain what it was that Kuyper went on to say. He said that the Catholic Church lives under one fundamental thought. That is, he says, that God enters into fellowship with the creature by means of a mystic middle link, which is the church, not taken as a mystic organism, but as a visible, palpable, tangible institution. So the church, he says, therefore stands between God and the world. And so as far as it was able, he says, to adopt the world and to inspire it 
it created a form of its own for human society. Things were brought under the auspices of the church, and under that auspices, it developed its own life forms. Okay. But enters in Protestantism. What it claims is that, no, Christ is the sole mediator between God the Father and man. And that man enters into immediate fellowship with the creature, not mediated through the institution of the church, but immediate fellowship as God the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit and the union we have through the Holy Spirit, who is also the Spirit of Christ, who's the Spirit of God, there is a union that takes place so that there's nothing between God and man. We live immediately, as the Protestants would have said, before the face of God. Now, what this did was change the way in which the Christian, or at least the Protestant, we'd say, began to relate to the church and to society and the social order. Kuiper goes on to say this, the church receded under Protestantism as a mediator as to all aspects of the believer's life in order to be neither more nor less than the congregation of believers. But in all other areas of life in the world, the believer was not emancipated from God, but from the dominion of the church. So in other words, the church in Protestantism still existed, but it was an organism of those who had been regenerated and joined by the Holy Spirit to Christ, and it was a body. It was not an institution. It was not a, a governing authority in the sense of an institutional governing authority relative to the other areas of life. The church no longer had to be head over politics, for example. It no longer had to be head over the sciences. It no longer had to be head over any of the other areas of, of social life and the social order. Now, many would say, well, that had, had its own negative consequences, and certainly uh, we have seen a, a loosing of science from anything to do with God, uh, government from anything to do with God. But the original idea of Protestantism wasn't that those things were free from God. They were still under God. They were not emancipated from God. They just weren't subject to a hierarchical authority in the church to tell the scientists how to study the stars or what law we should or should not have. That there would be people who would have the gifts of statesmanship and gifts of science and so on and so forth. So Kuiper goes on to say, domestic life regained its independence. Trade and commerce realized their strength in liberty. Art and science were set free from every ecclesiastical bond and restored to their own inspirations. And he says this about man as a whole. Man then began to understand the subjection of all nature with its hidden forces and treasures to himself as a holy duty imposed upon him by the original ordinances of paradise have dominion over them. Now what is Kuiper here saying? We began to see that as I began to live before the face of God as the original Adam and the original Eve, I see that that what God has said is, here's this whole garden and all of its hidden forces and treasures are yours 
and you've been given a delegated authority to develop them, to continue what I've been doing, God says, to continue to fill and to form, to turn the rest of Eden and the rest of the wilderness into a garden sanctuary where I can dwell with my people. You see what Kuiper is saying here, they get back to the idea of Genesis 1 and 2 as the foundation for Christianity and the purpose of man. What he was supposed to be doing, the progress towards which he was to proceed, you see. And, and because Protestantism today has focused predominantly on the aspects of man's salvation rather than on God and what was God's purpose and what was God doing, we, we've lost our meaning, we've lost our purpose. I get saved and now I guess I just try to be as holy as long as I can until I die. But, but I'm not building something. You see, you th think back in Hebrews, it says, Abraham was looking for a city whose foundations were built by God. We've stopped thinking that way within the Christian church. We go hither and thither and we, we, we make no progress. And I wanna pause here for a moment. Kuiper went on to say this, and this goes back to these points we've made in the past about the dualism and the Gnosticism that is so rampant in the church and directly affects the why of being engaged in politics and government and law. And here's what Kuiper said. As a result of this shift in the Protestant view that we live before the face of God because we are joined directly to the mediator by the Holy Spirit. We don't go through any other mediators. He said the effect of this and the effect of beginning to see that Christ was the second man and he was the last Adam that he had accomplished what the first Adam was supposed to do and received the reward that that Adam was to receive. And now this second Adam was having his own line of descendants separate from those of the first Adam. They said, wow, I, I'm, I'm, to, I'm to do what I was told to do in, in Genesis 28. I'm supposed to develop art and music and education and statecraft. Wow. And, and, and I'm free to do that with, without a hierarchy telling me I can or can't do it or my salvation is, is won or lost depending on whether I submit to that. Now again, that, that's had its own consequences because man eventually began to think he was free from God. But that, that was a consequence of the failure of Protestantism to maintain what it was doing and maintain what it had taught, maintain what it had understood. And what it had understood was this, and this is how Kuiper put it, the curse was no longer seen as resting on the world itself, having to be brought under an ecclesiastical authority and hierarchy, but it was upon only that which was sinful in the world. You see, see that, that dualism that starts, that says, 
this over here is bad, but if it's under the church as an institution, now it's good. So everything had to be brought under the church, and there was a, a blurring of church and state in, in all of those things. So as a consequence, Kuiper says, instead of the more spiritual man being the one who engages in a monastic flight from the world, he says there was now an emphasis on the Christian's duty to serve God in the world in every position in life to praise God in the church and serve him in the world became the inspiring impulse but see that's that's been lost within Protestantism and that's why we have people that would say no I'm not gonna get involved in politics you see that's secular that's worldly I'm gonna spend all my time going to church I'm gonna spend all my time in prayer and Bible study, I, I had a, a great friend of my family to, who became convinced this was in the 70s that Jesus was coming back shortly, you know, that wasn't too long after Israel had been formed as a nation, and he saw all the signs Jesus was coming back, and he didn't have time to get with my parents and socialize anymore. He just had to get ready for Jesus to come back. And eventually Jesus came back and got him, but he forgot to come and get all the rest of us. But do you see how that slipped into the church anymore, this dualism? And, and so we just wander around because we have no sense of eschatological purpose for our present life other than escaping the world. Next week we're going to come back and we're going to pick up on this idea of not just what God was doing when he created the world that we've kind of talked about today, but what is he doing? What did he really do with Jesus? I want to pick back up on this question. What are justification and sanctification in Christ for? How does that change who we are such that it changes what we do? In other words, what are we to do with the justification and sanctification we have in Christ? Why did God bother with the incarnation, the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension? As Dr. Grant said, and as we talked about at the top of the show, what was God doing? And, and what relationship does it bear to what we do today? I look forward to being with you next week on God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.